Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann. Today on the podcast, we're answering, where do I begin with STEM learning? Think of your STEM journey as a highway. When you're driving along, you see those marker signs on the side of the road. These guideposts can provide direction and key information just when you need it. This is how authors Joanne Vasquez, Michael Comer, and Joel Viegas describe how their work in STEM lesson guidepost is designed. They say their guideposts provide direction and key information at critical times when planning a STEM journey. When I sat down to talk with Joanne and Michael, we started our conversation on the misconceptions about what STEM actually is. I think the biggest misconception is the fact that they think that all four disciplines have to be in there, but STEM is actually an integrated, interdisciplinary way of teaching. And with that, what it does is give the students to apply what they're learning. And I think that's the big, uh, I, I don't want to say selling point, but the reason that STEM has resonated in the field with teachers who start to put their foot in the water and say, oh, I'm going to integrate my math and science, or I'm going to put some literature in. But it's all about application. And I think Mm -hmm. the biggest misconception is that you're not going to teach the content. You're just going to do all the, you know, fun projects and and problems and do all of that. Uh, You still have to teach the content. And I think one of the other uh, aspects of the misconceptions are is the idea that just because I do robotics or I do coding that I'm doing STEM. And it's not necessarily um, the integration of pulling the other disciplines together. Those are great uh, activities to do. Those are great projects to do. Um, but I think helping students to be able to see a connection to how I can apply this and how am I pulling in what other disciplines and what other uh, fields I'm studying at the time is is part of the STEM movement. Your first book, STEM Lesson Essentials, came out in 2013 and has been incredibly popular. Have there been changes in STEM expectations since then? Well, I think the uh, changes in the expectations come to uh, more classroom teachers are beginning to look at what STEM is and and look around to see that the emphasis uh, on STEM instruction is permeating into their classroom. And so they're beginning to think, well, how can I do this? And, uh, and where do I begin? And so I think when the first book came out, it was more about, well, what is STEM? And at the district level, supervisors were talking about it. There was a lot of talk in the national stage about STEM education. Mm-hmm. It's now filtered down to where teachers are. And teachers are beginning to say, okay, well, what is this? And, and how can I do it? And how will it help my students? And I think it also um, provides an opportunity for teachers to have dialogue with other teachers and to say what is, because everybody seems to be jumping on the STEM bandwagon. Mm -hmm. We see that. 
And in STEM Lesson Essentials, we tried to, or we did lay out, I think very clearly and articulately about what is STEM, the levels of STEM. So it is the what, the what of STEM. So we try to demystify it. And so that teachers would say, oh, I can't be a STEM teacher because I don't do this or I don't do that. Well, yes, you can. If you're teaching first grade and you're planting those plants and you're measuring them and you're graphing them and charting them, you're using math, you may be designing a place that you're going to go plant the plants when they're big, you're bringing in engineering design. So we try to give teachers the confidence to say, I can be a STEM teacher. Mm-hmm. And in the next book, it helps the teachers to begin to think about the how. How can I now do that based upon what um, what I'm currently doing, what projects I'm currently um, uh, working in the classroom, and what differences, what different emphasis might I take on what I, I currently have mm-hmm. um, and make it a little bit more applicable to the students or make, make the application more evident or explicit to the mm-hmm. students. Something that's been getting a lot of attention lately, a number of articles have referenced uh, fewer girls are pursuing STEM fields. What are your thoughts about the obstacles or opportunities related to the gender gap in STEM? Well, I think um, some of the times uh, girls are not given the opportunities, particularly in if they do growing up as a young child, they don't play with um, Legos or they don't do the building or construction construction type of things. Um, but I think when they get into early primary, it's very often uh, the little boys who are given the assignment to to build and do, construct, and et cetera. So I think as more and more teachers are finding out that STEM is for everybody, and it can be uh, easily integrated into their classroom. But the other piece of it is is the... The whole engineering is telling girls that engineering is not for them or they're not good in math. Mm-hmm. And their mothers are, might say, oh, I just don't do math. And so, therefore, I, you, know, you don't have to worry about it because look how successful I am. So, um, yes, that's what I believe. Yeah, and I think that the challenge is, is to um, uh, think about you know, if math is the hurdle that they're finding is, is what prevents them from feeling that they could be successful in a STEM-oriented kind of environment, then um, it's not just the math. I mean, there are other aspects of the instruction, the integration that um, that they can be successful for. And um, I think what they should consider is what the opportunities are for them beyond that. Because I could relate to a, a story my son was when he was going to college. The, um, he wanted to be a mechanical engineer and the program was full of those. And when we went to visit the school, the, the, the professor who was in charge of the department said, but we have no electrical engineers coming. We had a big crop of them years ago and now we're only down to nine. And my son really wanted to go to that school. So he chose electrical engineering because it was the opportunity to get in and then move from there. And I think that's that's what students should, children should think about or students should think about is what's the opportunity? And um, if I'm looking for a career that is going to be um, uh, have a job and have opportunities to grow in it and do a, a number of different things, uh, girls, women uh, have that opportunity. I think it's really an open field for them. And not to let an obstacle like, well, I'm, I'm not sure of the math part to it, slow them down because it's not just about the math. Well, let's talk a little bit about your new book, STEM Lessons Guidepost. How would you compare it to your first book, uh, STEM Lessons Essentials? 
Well, as Joanne was saying, um, STEM Essentials was really about the what, defining what STEM is, talking about the levels of integration that you don't have to jump into a full, uh, a full project-based kind of curriculum in order to get to a STEM lesson, that there, you can start small just integrating science and math together or looking at science and um, ELA standards, for instance, and pulling them together. The um, STEM guidepost is really focusing on how am I going to create that lesson? We, we give teachers uh, a template and a roadmap to follow uh, and, a, and a very succinct model to follow. And I think that's the, the difference is now that I know what it is, mm -hmm. now how am I going to do that? And I think we've addressed that question in STEM Lesson Guidepost. And I think the beauty of STEM Lesson Guideposts is um, as we've gone out and done our research, as we've been field testing uh, with teachers and working with teachers, is that we're empowering them to take their own curriculum standards and skills that they already have to teach. And how is it that you combine those together and develop a STEM lesson or a STEM unit? And so it's not becoming an add-on. And it's something that be, then becomes very, very personable mm -hmm. to them. And sort of um, also in that in STEM lesson guideposts, we're trying to demystify engineering. Uh, we have a couple of very good chapters on engineering design, uh, which is the lead. We call that the, the driver in our STEM car. <laughs> and one of them is the uh, family is going on a road trip. And so they want to both do hiking in the desert, but they also want to visit the mountains where the snow is. So, oh my, we need a hat. <laughs> so we're going to engineer a hat. And so having the students lay out a blueprint for the hat, etc. But the the end goal of that is to, particularly for primary teachers, to say engineering is for everybody. You Students come to it naturally. and uh, But it also, you're going to use your standards and skills. What is the math standards that you are teaching? So we give models and examples of that. Right. So we're not promoting it. It's not a curriculum that we're promoting. It's mm -hmm. using what you're currently doing and how could you make it better and how could you uh, tie the pieces of the curriculum together in a way so that the students see the interconnectedness of what they're learning. Um, and we, we provide models from all the different grade levels, from primary to intermediate to middle school, so that, that there's a, a lesson in there to help to figure out how they can do that from their own perspective. So it reaches a broader audience of, um, of teachers and um, supervisors. And the other piece of it is that within the book, we, we, ha we have used um, the backward design, which is very um, familiar with uh, many, many teachers. But you always start with, what do you want the students to know and be mm -hmm. able to do? And how will you know that they know it? So it's, it's working through that, but it's, it's looking at and I think that's the beauty of it. It's looking at what do you already teach mm -hmm. and how can we use that and develop a, a STEM unit. You don't have to buy something fancy. You don't have to import something. We're going to help ignite your fire. What have you seen that really successful teachers or schools have done with STEM in their curriculums? I think in truly successful um, uh, district schools or districts or counties uh, implementing STEM, um, look at it not just as a thing or a fad um, to do at one place, but it's, it's a continuation. It's changing the entire system. And that involves not only um, 
helping to educate and, and support their teachers, the educators in the classroom, but to inform parents and to inform the community about what changes are occurring within the school mm -hmm. and bringing those on board as part of the stakeholders, invested stakeholders. Um, we've used two chapters in the book to identify what a, a school has done in order to integrate um, uh, the challenge of STEM and then looked at it at a large county system and how they've gone about bringing together all the, the stakeholders because it's not just about the curriculum, it's about what opportunity lies for the students when they leave school and are looking for careers and, and jobs outside of school. And successful um, implementation in STEM schools or schools that want to use STEM, they, they provide their own vision for what STEM teaching and learning is about. Mm -hmm. And then they convey that vision to the parents, to the community, you know, what we are doing. Uh, because parents hear about STEM. I mean, they read about it, they oh. hear about it, it's all over. Um, but just exactly what it is and what does it mean to my child, which mm -hmm. is where the... The, the parents usually go. Um, but one of the things that is in one of our chapters, we highlight a school uh, approach to STEM teaching and learning, and it's a strong ability of the administrator to give the teachers time to collaborate and work together, but also honoring that they are working for the benefit of, of their students. And the other, other thing to keep in mind, I think in, for successful schools, it's not a one and done, mm -hmm. is, is that there is a period of refinement. Um, uh, we create a, a, a unit, a project that we do that we have to go back at the end of it and say, how did it work? How could I make it better? What changes might we integrate? And then each year come back to it to say, well, times have changed or the scenario doesn't work for us this year. Um, what's happened in the community that we could mm -hmm. use as a, as a focal point yeah. for why are we studying this, this unit? So um, uh, successful schools and districts have an ongoing refinement process of the project. It doesn't mean we have to throw out the project and start new, mm -hmm. but how can I take the current event in the community, which is a, a paramount issue, and use that as part of the foundation uh, to make it relevant and provide um, the, the necessity to get students involved and engaged in the process. That's great advice. So if a teacher is listening to this right now and they're wondering, you know, how to fit something in, how to fit STEM into their classroom tomorrow, how would you guide that teacher, even in the smallest possible way? Where could they start to design a STEM lesson right away? A nice way to start is looking at their science curriculum that they are already teaching. And um, the example that we use in the book is Killop School, third grade. And it there you, they teach uh, force and motion in third grade. So they took that. And, um, and what other kinds of things could you integrate with force and motion? Mm -hmm. So looking at what you're teaching and thinking about uh, what might be something that you could use. Um, I've also seen teachers that... Um, they're teaching a, a geometry unit in third grade, and they're teaching uh, different uh, different rectangle, rectangles, you know, spheres, etc. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the examples that was it's not in the book, but one of the examples we knew when we worked with one of the teacher groups was the the public library mm -hmm. was going through a re. Uh, uh, 
renovation. renovation. And that renovation then they were using, they had the students go to think about, well, what kind of architecture would go in there? What do we need? What kind of tables? So they took the geometry that they were learning mm-hmm. and they were applying it to a different situation. So I think the, uh, the key here is also to look in your community, find out what your community is doing to make it relevant, and then also being not afraid to, you do it this year, don't throw it out, <laughs> let's refine it next year and keep working on it and making it better. Yeah, and I, I think that the, the, the heart of what you were saying about the, um, the, the example about the um, library is to ask yourself the question, why should they know this? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I taught middle school, and it was, um, why do I have to know this, Mr. Comer? Why, why, do we, why do we care about this? If I can't answer that question for them, then there is no purpose for learning yeah. that. And so if I was going to start to think about a STEM unit, the first question I want to know is, out of the, the standards that I'm teaching is, where would they use this in real life? Mm-hmm. And using that example in real life, connecting it to the learning, is the, the start of beginning to develop your STEM unit. STEM lesson. But I also feel that teachers need to take a deep breath and say, you don't always have to do a big fancy project at the end of your lesson. Mm. It can be as simple as a presentation. The students develop a presentation for what they've been working on. Mm-hmm. So. And, I, and I think the, the, you know, with the new Common Core um, standards for uh, ELA and mathematics and the new science standards, they have a lot of common skills, or what they now refer to as the practices mm-hmm. that overlap each other. And um, so it's not as if these are individual <laughs> skills that are learned within a single discipline, but they over, uh, overlap each other and there's an overarching kind of approach that teachers can take in developing curriculum or looking at existing curriculum to say, where do I use that skill in other places? And is the skill something that I can use as the thread to tie the, uh, the lessons together? My thanks to Joanne and Michael for their time today. If you'd like more information on their book, STEM Lesson Guideposts, you can read a sample chapter, watch videos, and more at Heinemann.com. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher app right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more at Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.